by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. How many believe we have the victory in Christ? How many want to walk in that victory? Amen. How many would like... Great victories in your life like like Elijah had when he called down fire from heaven. You know that story, right? Elijah, he had told the king it wasn't going to rain for three years, and the king was all mad. It was an evil king, Ahab, you know, king of Israel, and he was doing wrong. So God sent a prophet named Elijah and straightened him out. He said, you know, you know God's in charge of this thing down here. You need to get your actions together. Well, anyway... He came, and after three years, he said, you know, I'm going to let it rain again. I'm going to ask God to let it rain again. And uh, King Ahab was, why are you a troubler of Israel? you just bringing trouble. And see, that's what the world thinks today, don't they? They think Christians are just bringing trouble. Why don't you just let us sin? Why don't you just let us have our way? Why don't you just get out of our way and stop us from having fun? Stop, stop trying to stop us from having fun. <laughs> well, anyway, he brought his 400 50 prophets of Baal, and was, I think it's 400, it was 450 of one and 400 of the other, Baal and Ashtoreth and these false gods. And Elijah said, I tell you what, y'all meet me up on the mountain, and we'll have a showdown. We'll see, we'll see whose God answers by fire. And you know the story. They built an altar, and the, the prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth, they circled around, chanting and cutting themselves and doing all these worldly things. And, and their, their, their God didn't answer because their God ain't real. There's only one true God. And his name's not Buddha. His name's not Muhammad. His name's Jehovah. His name's Jesus. Well, they called on their false gods and nothing happened. And uh, Elijah says, Lord, I know you hear me. Show these people that you are the, the living God and Fire flashed from heaven and burnt up not only the, the sacrifice on the altar, but the altar itself licked up all the water he had put on it to show that it wasn't some kind of magic trick or whatever he was going to perform, but that his God is real. Don't you want people to know that your God is real? I mean, Elijah had the biggest victory. I mean, it was in front of all of Israel. It would be like me going down talking to Vladimir Putin and saying, our God is real, you know. And then calling down fire from heaven and being on CNN and Fox News and ABC and all these names. You'd think, hey, that guy's something. He'd be doing interviews and, and everything. Well, he'd be world, world class. <laughs> we all want those big victories. Uh, when James and John were walking with Jesus one time, the, the Samaritans wouldn't let them go through their town. And, and James and John says, We'll, we'll try to get some of that kind of victory for ourselves. Jesus, let's call down fire from heaven. <laughs> In Luke nine fifty five, it says, But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and he said, You do not know what manner of spirit you're of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. 
What was Jesus's manner of spirit, do you see? What did he say? I didn't come to destroy. I didn't come to call down fire from heaven and kill people. Yes, I displayed my power in the Old Testament. But I came to save people, not to destroy people. In Matthew 18, 12, we see Jesus' spirit. It says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the one that is lost? Say lost. That's what we're talking about today. Lost. You know, our banner that we talked about last week, we're a warm, fun-loving family, eager to reach out with God's love and restore all who have lost their way. That's what we're talking about here today. And Jesus' heart is for the lost. Sometimes as Christians, we can look at people and say, they're not like us. And we, we act like we want an exclusive club of Christianity. We, some churches don't want the lost to come into their church. I can assure you that's not the case here. I looked up the word lost. One definition said, not made use of, won, or claimed. Jesus wants to make use of everybody's life. He wants everybody won to him. And he wants to, to let you know that I have claimed you as my own. He doesn't want you lost in any kind of way. If I'm speaking to any lost people out there today, I want you to know that Jesus will leave the 99 in here to go out there and find the one. He'll find you. A second definition I saw is of lost is unable to find one's way, not knowing one's whereabouts. And that's not God's will for anybody's life. To be wandering around without purpose. And as you see, if you read on down our banner, we're, we're a fire igniting the passionate pursuit of true purpose in people's lives. We want what Jesus wants. He doesn't want anybody lost. Wandering around aimlessly. And he certainly doesn't want a whole church full of Christians. Got their ticket to heaven. They think they're saved, but but still living like the world and still living like the lost. Like you don't know that God has created you with purpose. In verse 13, he says, he says of this man that goes to search for the lost, he says, if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than the 99 that didn't wander away. And in the same way, is not, it is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. Not one. Now you might can think of some people in your life who you think God can't touch them. They're too far gone. I wouldn't even want them in the church. You may feel like a certain class of people. <clears throat> it used to be hard to pray for ISIS, you know. He's like, just call down fire from heaven and destroy them. But no, that's not God's will. That they be lost. Instead, say, God, change their heart. Turn them from their lost wandering about in the wilderness and bring them home. <clears throat> not, not even one. You say, but I don't even care about sheep. 
What's this got to do with me? Well, Jesus will tell you. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We've, strayed, we've all strayed away at times, haven't we? Is there, was there anybody that was born saved in here? I don't think so. We have the propensity to get lost. And I'm going to add something maybe scary to you. But even Christians can lose their way. I would argue that a great majority of the church in America claims Jesus as Lord but has no idea about his lordship and essentially has lost their way. Much of the American church has lost their way. I know I talk about the American church <clears throat> negatively in a, in a lot of sermons, but I'm trying to get us to wake up. I know when I, when I say about one church, I, I know there's a hundred churches that, that are not like that. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. How many of us can say, well, I'm, I know that I'm following God's way. I know that the, what I'm doing in my life is God's will for me, God's plan. I'm not just following my own path. Think about that. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. God laid on Jesus our sins so that we don't have to live in sin. We don't have to live lost. And, and he laid on him the sins of us all, including those people that we think we don't care about. So first out of this, I see that we have an obligation to care about lost sheep. Jeremiah says that we should be shepherds after his own heart. We should have Jesus' heart. We ask him to come into our heart. The love of God was shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. We have the capability to feel the way he feels about the lost. Second, we better be careful because we might just find ourselves ourselves the lost sheep one day again. I bet you there's some testimonies in here about people who have backslidden once knowing Jesus Christ. And a year later, they're like, how did I get here? Jesus, I don't know the way home. And there's another thing I try to show you every week. It's called the altar. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness, and he'll set your feet back on the solid rock. But we do, as even as Christians, we might find ourselves losing our way. Sinners are lost, and Christians can lose their way. Last week, like I said, we started talking about the banner, and we worked on that warm, fun-loving thing, how we're supposed to, that's our culture, how we reach out with God's love, and we talked a lot about God's love. And today we're talking about restoration. 
restoring all who have lost their way. Y'all sure looking at me hard this morning. Because it goes on to say that what? We're a hospital of hope here, right? If you've been to the hospital, you see that there's all degrees of restoration in process. Some churches would have you believe that we're just a church full of doctors. <laughs> we don't want any patients here. We want everybody, we want the mature Christians here. Only the best of the best can come and be with us. Only the doctors in our hospital, but that's not the way it works. In a hospital, you're going to have people, you know, in critical care, and you're going to have people almost waiting to be released, right? So if we're going to be a hospital of hope for Jesus Christ, we, want, we have to have processes in place to help people get released so that they can go out and bring other hurting to the hospital. They can begin to make a difference in people's lives. You know, Jesus told the Pharisees, they, they wanted that perfect church with the, only the doctors in it. He said, I didn't come for those who think they're well, but I came for the sick. Because in reality, nobody's well. We all deal with a sin nature in a fallen world. We all need Jesus. And that's who he came for, the ones who know that they are sick. Somebody said, I mean, it's been attributed to, from the Pope to Ronald McDonald, I think, but they said the church isn't a museum for saints, but a hospital for sinners. So let's discuss sinners first. What can I say about sinners? Sinners sin. Sinners by nature do what? They sin because that's who they are. That is their nature. Let me ask you, when you was a sinner, what did you do? You may have wanted to be a good person, but you didn't have the power. Apostle Paul says in Romans seven eighteen, and I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. This is the Apostle Paul. He, he recognizes that he has a sinful nature. I want to do right, but I can't. But if you read on, he says that now we can do right because we have the Spirit of God. And if we choose to live in the Spirit, we overcome the desires of the flesh. We have the power. But sinners, before they're saved, before they have the Spirit of God, have no GPS. And so by nature, they stay lost. They have no God positioning system. They're wandering around lost. They have a conscience, but they really have no power to obey it because their battery's dead. So we waste time trying to get them to obey the Ten Commandments. You can go to a center and you can say, man, look, you're not supposed to commit adultery. You're not supposed to sleep with somebody else's wife. Get your act together, man. Stop committing a fornication, you know. Stop lying. Stop stealing. And we can encourage them. Your life is going to be better if you do these things. Look, if you'll do this and this, your life, this is why your life is all messed up. And we can tell them these things, but they're like, I can't stop. 
They have no power to stop. So what do you do? What do you what is the what do we say to a sinner? You need Jesus. They need that life in their spirit. They need the spirit of God on the inside of them. That's what they need. They don't need our advice about putting a Band-Aid on their gaping wound. Their heart is bleeding out. We're putting a Band-Aid and say, here, act better. But it don't work like that. If we're going to use the Ten Commandments with the lost, we need to show them the Ten Commandments and say, you need to contemplate these because you're not able to keep these. Thus, let them be your schoolmaster that leads you to Christ. And that's what the Ten Commandments were for. The law was to lead us to Christ, to show you that you couldn't keep the Ten Commandments. So we got to get them lost so we can get them found. We don't tell them how wonderful they are and that they can get have this all-expenses-paid trip to, to heaven. Just say this one magic prayer. No, we don't need a bunch of false converts. we got enough of those. We need to say, look, you're dead in your sins and trespasses. You're, not, you're of your father, the devil, if you want to be honest about it. But you can be translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of, of his dear son, into the kingdom of light. But you must repent and turn to Jesus. Repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the sinners need. They need Jesus. So now let's talk about baby Christians. Those who have recently given their heart to Jesus. You, you know if we say an altar call at the end of the service and we, we try to get people to respond to Jesus and do that, repent and give their heart to Jesus. Well, what do we say next? Nicholas comes up and says, come talk to pastor. At least look at the video he made. Don't, I mean, it, what would happen if you had a baby, you cut the cord, said, you're on your own. Seriously, what would happen? They wouldn't survive. Baby Christians need guidance. They need someone to show them the way. And who's the way? Jesus. They need someone to show them the way. And whose responsibility is that? Is it just mine? Say ours. Ours. Each and every one of you. 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 You say, uh, 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 why is that my response? Don't put that on me, Pastor. I didn't put it on you. It's your great commission. <laughs> God put that on you. We got to take them through the discipleship wheel back here, what I called it. You see, everything that we have done is in response to who we are. Everything that God has shown us is to help people find their true purpose in life. So when somebody comes to service, say, and they, they receive Christ, they repent of their sins and give their heart to Jesus, now they know God. Now they have the power, right? They have the light on the inside. Well, they're still bound up. They're a baby Christian. They may have alcohol issues, drug issues, pornography. They may, they may be in a state where they're living with their boyfriend or girlfriend, unmarried. They may be, they may be in all kinds of sin. They didn't even know better because sinners do what? 
okay? But now it's time to find some freedom because uh, sin is a slave master. And it's ruling over their life, and they need freedom. They want to be set free from sin. And so we, we have, like, life groups is our main way to help people to begin to get set free. Uh, James says, confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. So it's not only the vertical relationship with God, but it's a horizontal relationship with other people that says, I'll help you with that issue, brother. I used to do the same thing. And, here's, and we share with one another. That's where you, you come in. That's where we all play a part. Life groups are a vital part of helping people and helping each other find freedom from the bondages of our past. Freedom in our mind to understand things better. Once you find freedom, then we help people to, uh, discover that they have a purpose. You'll be surprised at how many people, even saved people, that don't know that God has a purpose for your life. You may have found some of the gifts that he hid in you and, and some of the gifts and talents that he put in you, and you may be using them for all these reasons, and you're like, you mean he gave me that for a purpose? And I'm not using it for that purpose? And, he, and we'll begin to show people how you have purpose in this life. What's one of the main ways the church does that? Our next step classes. We talk about your purpose, the purpose of the church and how the two and how we can help you find your purpose in life. And once you discover your purpose, then what are you going to do? Is anybody looking at the wheel back here? What's the yellow box say? Make a difference. And that's what we all want to do, right? We claim that from the beginning. I want to make a difference. I want my life to count. Well, that's how you do it. That's the process of making disciples who make disciples. Once you begin to make a difference, you start inviting people to church. You start filling up these empty purple chairs for other people to know God. And it doesn't matter where you're at on that wheel. You can start right now. You can start bringing somebody along. You can say, man, I'm not even free yet. I'm a baby Christian, and I'm trying to figure this thing out. Well, you might know somebody that's lost that needs to be pulled up to the baby Christian status. Or you might know another baby Christian. Let's help each other. But them relationships, it's called discipleship. And that's how we begin to help people, especially baby Christians. They don't know any better. They need to be shown the way. I remember my biggest failure, one of my biggest failures as a parent, would always be assuming that my children know what I know. Seriously, I'd, I'd throw, you know, a little ball to Josh when he was four or five years old. And it, I'm like, the boy's clumsy. He don't know what, he can't catch a ball. I'd throw it to him, boom. This boy, he ain't never going to be an athlete. He's four years old, and I'm already speaking dumb stuff over him. I ain't even gave him a chance to learn how to catch a ball yet. And it's the same way in the church. So I'm not going to that church. People smoke cigarettes out in, out in the front before you come in. Well, have you ever thought that maybe that's the least of their worries right now as a baby Christian? Maybe they're, they're shooting heroin. They're, they're dealing with bigger stuff than cigarettes right now. Have we ever thought to give anybody some space to grow? Seriously. Seriously. How, how self-righteous can we be sometimes? Did you have everything together when you came to Jesus? Didn't you have to grow? I know I'm 20-something years in, and I'm still growing every day. Every day. 
Jesus walked Peter to full maturity. When he started with Peter, Peter was ready to cut somebody's ear off. You know what I'm saying? He was ready to fight. James and John was ready to call down fire from heaven. Peter denied Jesus three times. But did, did Jesus give up on Peter? No, he came and restored all who have lost their way. So don't get mad at people for struggling through life the same way we struggle. It's amazing how we wear these rose-colored lenses when we look at our life. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, but we won't give it to others. They're struggling like you are. Jesus walked Peter to, through to full maturity, from a pebble to the rock. <clears throat> I wrote this. It might be easier for a church just to gather a few sitters. And if, you're, if nothing I'm saying is touching your heart and encouraging you, you're saying, I, I'm just waiting for this to get over, you might be in the wrong church. You might want to find one of those pew-sitting churches, ones that don't ask anything of you. It'd be easier. I could preach, oh, we're going to have prosperity messages every Sunday. We could have Holy Ghost meetings every, I mean, we could drum something up anyway, Right? We could make it exciting in here. We could, we could have more lights. We could have fog and smoke. We could, we could make it so that we could draw people here. We could pay them off some kind of way. But consumer Christians, they won't advance the kingdom of God. And thus they'll never really enter the kingdom of God. They'll never enjoy the things of the kingdom of God. They'll just think they're doing the things of God. A church must make disciples who make other disciples. You need someone in your life that you're allowing to speak into your life. Someone more mature as a Christian. And in turn, you need to be speaking into someone else's life. And if that's not happening in your life, then join a life group. Come to the next step class. Do something. Take a step. Take a step. It takes time. It takes effort. And it takes love. It takes us all working together. And that means you, each one of you. So we've talked about sinners. We've talked about baby Christians. Let's talk about mature Christians. Do you know sometimes mature Christians can lose their way? This is a long life. You can be good for this morning, but man, by the afternoon, it's like a whole different story, right? <laughs> and, and over the years, sometimes we, as Christians, we can be so firm in our faith. That's why Jesus is always telling us things like, return to your first love. Remember the things you did before and do them again. You know, we can lose our fire. We can be knocked off course by things like COVID, right? I mean, nobody knew what to do. The world had us scared and afraid to even meet together, and they're telling us we can't. And, we, and some people just went for the bait. And some people 
have gotten knocked out of their race because of the storm of COVID. Does that make them bad people? No. I mean, we're all subject to get knocked out of the race if we don't stay careful. Some people get into sin. Do you know once you're saved, you you can get right back into the things that you used to do if you're not careful. You got to stay out of the places that used to to tempt you like that. We can grow weary in well-doing. Sometimes the church has been guilty of, of working people too much. Sometimes some people in the church ain't doing their share, so some people have to work too much. And I think about our children's department, I think somebody in here needs to volunteer to work with the children. So Miss Anita doesn't have to be back here. Miss Denise don't have to be back here every week. Just for example. We don't want people to grow weary and burn out. And then there's hurt in the church. I'm not going to name any name the guy's name or what, but you may know him. You may when I tell this story. I'm not going to say anything bad about him, but I'm just not going to mention his name in case you don't know him. I'll just call him Mike. But Mike got saved about the same time I did. He got saved, saved like me. He went whole hog like me. He wanted to do everything he could for Jesus. He was so excited. You could just see it on his face. Me and him were like, woohoo! You know? And then we went to a men's meeting at the church. And this was a long, long time ago. And there was a lot of men. And he shared some things about his life. I mean, he was trying to live out the, the James 5 thing about, you know, confess your faults. But he didn't say it was one to another. He didn't say one to the whole group. He, he, may have, he was a young Christian. He didn't know any better. He shared his faults with the whole group. Well, you would have thought all those people in there had halos on because they were like, how dare him say he does that? Because they were all playing fake Christian. I'm not saying all of them, but they ostracized him. After that meeting, they talked bad about him. They, would, they, didn't, they said, we're not letting him in. You know, to, we, we need to find a way to kick him out of the men's group pretty much. I mean, they were, it was awful. I was a baby Christian, and I knew that wasn't right. But he endured it. He was so happy in the Lord, he didn't get offended. That was the right thing. He did not get offended. Most of us would have been gone at that point. But he didn't let it stop him. He kept on doing what was right. He went on and started what we now know as our jail ministry. He preached down at the jail for years and years. I still, to this day, some 15 years later, have people come to me, what happened to old Mike? Where's Mike at? I remember when he used to come down here. He changed untold amounts of life. Lives through his zeal for the Lord. And he just, his service to the Lord. Somewhere along the line, I don't know what happened. He changed churches or something. He, he became a youth pastor at some church. And now, once again, this is just from my perspective and things that I've heard. I'm not trying to spread rumors. I don't, I'm not naming churches or whatever. But I just understand that through church politics, some kind of junk, he got fired from being youth pastor. 
no fault of his own from what I understand. Because when I went over there, I saw he had a big group of youth. I saw he was loving them well, him and his wife. were doing a magnificent job with the youth. They had a new pastor come in, fleecing the flock and whatever going on in church politics. You know that happens even in churches. And he got fired from his job. Corrupt leadership. So there he was, right? Hurt, weary and well-doing, knocked off course by injustice. And now he won't set foot through a church door anymore. Last I heard. Sometimes when I'm at the jail, I remember his labor of love. I hear people mention him. And I'll text him. I still got his number in my phone. Or I'll call him. We never were really close, but I've always admired him from a distance, so to speak. And I'll try to encourage him, send him an encouraging text, but he won't even respond. I don't know. I, I guess he still has his personal relationship with the Lord, but he is out of the church. The last I, I heard, won't answer my text or calls. And Proverbs eighteen nineteen says, an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. And Jesus talks about offense in Luke 17, 1. He says to his disciples, it isn't possible that no offenses should come. In other words, offenses are always going to be there. There's always going to be a reason to be offended, right? But woe to him through whom they do come. I don't know about you, but I got enough woe in my life already. And I'm not here to offend people. Offenses do come. I have an opportunity to be offended all the time. What about you? But we must reject that. We must keep moving forward. And not allow our hearts to be full of offense. But woe to him who causes the offenses. This is not some Christian game that we're playing here. This is not reality TV. Lord help us if we turn this thing into the Jerry Springer show. It matters how we love others. It matters how we see others. How we treat one another. Yes, offenses come. Sometimes I say dumb stuff. I may have said something dumb here already today. I'm sorry. That's how you do it. You say, I'm sorry. I said this and I shouldn't have. And we come together. We don't talk about each other behind each other's backs. We don't, we don't stir up somebody else to get on our team. That's strife, what we talked about last week. People's lives are destroyed when we lose sight of God's love and engage in nasty religion without grace or space. What would God's grace do? And won't we allow somebody the space to learn, to grow like God has allowed us? I have seen people in the church like Jekyll and Hyde. I mean, you talk to them about regular stuff, and I like this 
girl or I like this man. They're, you know, they're just friendly. and all. But then you mention Jesus or mention the church and it's like they flip a switch and they start this nasty religious judgmental thing. And they turn on. It's, it's like it's it's not genuine. It's like they, they, they want to show you how much they know about and how much more they know than you and how much more righteous they are than you. They want to tear others down and build themselves up. That is not anything like the church that Jesus is building. Grace and space. Say grace and space. Say I will. Praise the Lord. I will. Give people grace and space. Luke nineteen ten says, "For the Son of Man did not come to seek; for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost." Say, lost. Jesus loves the lost, whether they be sinners, baby Christians trying to find their way, or or mature Christians who have lost their way. Just in in, in Luke chapter fifteen, you you see that Jesus leaves the ninety nine. He, he tells the story about the woman who lost one coin and she swept the whole house until she found it and then she rejoiced that she found her, comb, her coin. And then he tells the story about the prodigal son coming home. One who had just messed up his life and, and for all intents and purposes should have been ostracized and you don't belong here anymore. But he showed his heart towards those people. If you'll come home, I'll put a new robe on your shoulders. I'll put a new ring on your fingers and, I'll, and we'll put that purpose, those purposeful shoes back to stepping. You see what I'm saying? You see how Jesus' heart is? When Cain asks, what am I, my brother's keeper? Yes, you are. In 1 Peter 3.8, Peter says, finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tenderhearted. And keep a humble attitude. Do I need to say all those again? Let's read it together. Finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tenderhearted, and keep a humble attitude. That humble attitude is probably the key to all of that, isn't it? Let's read that together. We are a warm, fun-loving family, eager to reach out with God's love and restore all who have lost their way. Everyone matters. We are a hospital of hope and a fire igniting the passionate pursuit of true purpose in people's lives. Do you believe that? Do you believe that will make you the person God has called you to be? Amen, it will. That's what we're going to do together. Well, you remember I started talking about Elijah. We wanted the victory Elijah had, and Elijah had a big victory. But do you know right after he calls down fire from heaven and he's, a, he's got interviews waiting on CNN and ABC and Fox News and the whole world wants to know who this guy is who's so close with God that he can fire, call down fire from heaven? Uh, Jezebel, Ahab's wife, says, I'm going to kill you for killing my prophets. He runs from the girl. He 
He just faced everybody in the nation gathered up on the mountain and all these prophets and the king himself. And now he's afraid of Jezebel. And in 1 Kings 19, 4, it says, Then he went on alone in the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. Where, where, where was the other Elijah? What happened? I'm just going to tell you. We're all humans. Elijah was a human. We can have incredible ups and incredible downs, but sometimes they two, those two collide right there together. We're not really made to live on the mountaintop. And we're not made to live in the valley. It's too much for us. We got to cast our cares on Christ every step of the way. Sometimes after your biggest victories, you need to watch yourself. You need to check yourself so you don't wreck yourself. You might lose a humble attitude or, or you might just be overwhelmed by life. So none of us have arrived, right? All of us. Elijah called out fire from heaven and then he runs from a woman. Elijah loses his way and he prays that he might die. He says, I have had enough, Lord. <laughs> he lost his way right after his big victory. So what did God do? Well, that's how you're going to be. I'm not going to use you anymore. Is that what God said? No, he sent him some angels, just like he sent Jesus in the wilderness. Sent some angels. Fed him. Said, get you some rest, Elijah. Here's you some food. Wake up. You're going to need some. He would wake him up, let him sleep. Wake him up, feed him, let him sleep. Sometimes we don't need a swift kick in the butt. We just need a vacation and a gift card to Texas Roadhouse. <laughs> Sometimes we just need to lighten up a little bit. We need some rest. God knows that we are butt dust. Right? He knows what we can handle. He knows our frames are weak. That's why he says, cast your cares on me. That's why he's always providing for our physical needs. He provided for their physical needs when he was here on the earth. So he, he, he strengthened Elijah, and he told him, I want you to go to this mountain. And he walked for like 40 days to get to this mountain. And up on the mountain, there was a, a great wind, an earthquake, and a fire. But God was not in any of those. But he was in a still small voice. And he says, What are you doing, Elisha? What are you doing here? And then a little bit later, Elijah's made, Well, it's just me. All the other prophets have, have got, they quit. You know, it's, ain't nobody down here serving God but me. I'm doing everything. He's complaining. And God speaks to him again. What are you doing here, Elisha? And God would ask you that today. What are you doing here? Are you absolutely sure that you know what you're doing here? 
Or are you lost a little bit? You just kind of ended up here. What are you doing here? What are we doing here? What are we doing? What are we doing? You know what he told Elijah? He says, Elijah, I want you to get up. I want you to go anoint King Hazel to be the king of Aram. And I want you to anoint Jehu to be the king, the next king of Israel. And I want you to anoint Elisha to be your servant. What did God tell him? He said, what are you doing here? I'm going to show you what I want you to do. I want you to raise up others behind you. I'm going to make you someone who anoints kings and priests. That's what I want you to do. I don't need you calling down fire from heaven unless I need you to. That would be something special. But what I really need you to do is to be raising up those after you. I need you to go anoint future kings and future priests. I tell the workers in our department, be working yourself out of a job. Don't just do everything, but show everybody what you're doing so that they can do it. Give other people an opportunity to serve. Let everybody play a part in God's plan. Work yourself out of a position. Raise you, Elisha, up to take your mantle when you're gone. Be happy that he has twice the anointing that you had. Because you played a part in helping somebody else rise up and be a king and a priest. What are you doing here, Elisha? listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.